I um, uh, often do these speech and debate contests as a judge. Uh, my wife is uh, one of the coaches at Parkway West for their speech and debate team. And so I have the opportunity, um, the privilege, the, uh, the call in my life <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> To, to, to be one of those judges. Um, uh, and uh, I, I often will judge debate. I, I like to judge debate. Um, uh, speech and debate are, are different parts of the same competition. Uh, debate is, what I like about debate is it's, it's when young people have a, adult disagreements in a mature way, which is far different than when older people have childish disagreements in immature ways, which is the only political comment I'm going to make today. Um, but I also will occasionally judge the speech competitions. Now, um, with, with debate, there is a structure to, to how uh, uh, you, you give and take and, and question each other. And um, with speech, it's a little more free than that, uh, in that... Uh, um, the topic is chosen by uh, the speaker, and um, with with a few exceptions, I know that. Uh, but but oftentimes they are things uh, like like clippings from from a book or a play or a poem. Um, uh, some of it is original, as they they write their own speeches that are informative speeches, and and so it, it's interesting uh, as you go. And and usually you're in a room and you judge five to seven or eight um, against each other. And then, um, you know, the, the top point getter will advance to the next round and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of those speeches uh, are, are given by girls, uh, teenage girls, and a lot of them are um, very dark. The topics they use are very dark. And, and, and I recognize that... that I recognize that they use these topics and, and, and for a little bit for the shock value in order to get the attention of the judge, in order to, to have them pay attention. And so there's a little bit of the shock value part in that. But at the same time, what I know is that the topics they're dealing with, like abuse, about sexuality or about, about suicide or self-harm and, 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 and about topics like, like that. A lot of these are the dark place. I mean, think about your own, own high school years, if you can remember that back then. Um, some of you are a lot closer. Okay, a few of you haven't gotten there yet, but most of you are a lot closer to them than I am. Um, but think about what was going on in your mind back then. Teenage angst is a real thing. And it's a real struggle. And, and, and most of our life, for most, well, okay, let's face it. For guys, um, we just kind of bumble through life dumb and accidental. Um, but girls think this stuff through. And it's not 100% true about the guys. Um, but girls think this stuff through, and, and, and oftentimes their thoughts go to a dark place. Now, their actions may not. That's, it's fair to say their actions may not, but each one of us at times goes to a dark place in our thoughts. And I, I, I recognize, I and mean, it's part of the reason why, why we've developed a vision for our church that in the near future what we're going to be working on is... is um, 
to transform the lives of our youth and children of our community, uh, both emotionally and spiritually through the power of Jesus Christ. Because I've seen the dark things uh, they say and act out. Um, and, it, and, it, and it makes you a little uneasy. I think oftentimes we read scripture and we see the characters in scripture as, as pretty one-sided. We just see what happened to one person at one time in that event. And, and, and it, we almost read it like fiction where we don't have a depth of character. But recall that all of the characters in the Bible are real people who really lived. And so the one we're talking about today is a teenage girl and I'm sure the topics of her anxiety were different then than they are now. But the fact of teenage anxiety would have still been there. So I want you to, to hold that in your mind as we watch this video of the angel Gabriel coming to a teenage girl, an ordinary girl, and see how that conversation takes place, and then we'll talk more about it. In the ancient writings, a savior was prophesied. This would bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And it was written long ago that God would give us a sign. A young girl would conceive though never having been with a man, and she would give birth to a baby boy. He would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mother? Father? You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For nothing is impossible with God. a servant of the Lord. May everything you have said about me come true.
a young woman says yes to the unimaginable. Her story is not the first, nor the last, when God will ask great things of his people. And when we say yes, it can change everything. would imagine that, that Mary would have described that occurrence as anything but ordinary or mundane. <laughs> this, this gospel records uh, this unexpected message that was delivered by Gabriel, an angel, and received by Mary, the young woman, the woman in Nazareth. And it becomes the start of the good news, the gospel, that would lead to salvation for all who would receive it into their lives as a personal message. But Mary asks the obvious question, how will this be since I am a virgin? This unbelievable and impossible news from the lips of Gabriel to the ears of Mary, it was a call to provide for the impossible. Now, probably in that day, every Jewish girl at some point in their life harbored a thought that maybe, just possibly, I might be the one to give birth to the Savior. Now, let's be fair. In that day, uh, uh, men were expected to be the ones who would be the Savior, not women. But somebody had to be mom. And I would imagine one of those thoughts in a teenage girl's mind was, could it be me? Probably for Mary, it would be the unlikelihood that it would be her, right? The, this, this Jewish girl in this small town. But it's just like God to, to extend the call of Christmas to come forth from this place and this person and the circumstances that we see in this story. If you brought a Bible with you, please open it to, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to follow along. I'm going to read through the scripture as we go along. And I encourage you to bring your Bible to church so you can follow along. You might want to make notes in it or, or underline things. It's okay to do that in your Bible. Okay? I always like the statement, you know, a devil's not afraid of a dusty Bible. Open yours. Blow the dust off. Bring it with you. Uh, so in verse 26, where we start. It sets the stage for us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Elizabeth, we talked about her last week. Her husband, Zechariah, had the encounter with the angel in the temple that told him that his wife, who was old, or past childbearing years, let's just say that, would have a child. Elizabeth, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee. The city of Nazareth stood in sharp contrast to the city of Jerusalem. If, if, if a, a Savior was going to come from anywhere, the Savior would come from Jerusalem, right? The holy center of the Hebrew faith. That would be the more natural option. 
since it was the center of the, the Jewish world and Nazareth was off the beaten path and Jerusalem was significant and Nazareth seems so insignificant, so insignificant that in the book of John, he records one of the men who will future be one of the apostles, one of the people in Nazareth saying just this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I bet he didn't know how prophetic he would be. In this region of Galilee, you see, you see, Judea is the southern region, and Judea is where Jerusalem is, and, and up to the north is a region called Galilee, and Galilee is where Nazareth is. And, and, and Galilee was in the country, and, and, and Judea, while it had a lot of wilderness, it also had the big city of Jerusalem. And Galilee was rough around the edges and, and anything but kosher came out of their kitchens. And, and Judea would have been more polished, more prim, more proper, and, and followed the religious rules. But at the end of the day, God sends an angel to Jerusalem to give a message to a priest in a temple just as quickly as God sends a message through the angel Gabriel to a teenage girl in Nazareth, on the outskirts of some country hills. All the real estate on earth is an equal opportunity for God to do something great and to place a call on a person's life to provide for his next step in the plan. No matter if you live in the, in the big city or the open country, on the right side of the tracks or the wrong, in the high tax bracket neighborhood or below the poverty line, God knows where you are and knows how to send a message to you. And wherever you are this Christmas, God can use you to be a part of his will and his plan for the world. You're never off the grid when it comes to God. He's aware of your whereabouts regardless of where you come from or where you live. And verse 27 goes on to, to tell uh, that the one who would be called upon to provide the Savior would be a most unlikely candidate. God sent Gabriel to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The fact that it states that Mary was pledged to Joseph meant more than they were merely engaged. To be engaged in that day was just as important as marital status itself. It was just a step toward what would happen, the marriage. A Jewish engagement resulted in marital status, and though unconsummated, it was as sacred as the marriage. Consummation would come later, but the commitment, the covenant, was just as strong beforehand in the eyes of the culture of that time. The fact that, that she is signified as a virgin harkens back to the prophecy from, uh, uh, of the Messiah from Isaiah to all Jews. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him, I'm sorry, and, and will call him Emmanuel. The meaning is God with us. The Lord is with you. The call of Christmas is a reminder that the Lord is always with you. 
Only a favored one in the eyes of God would be given the privilege to, uh, and the call to provide the Christ child. And the fact that she was a, a virgin would mean that God would have to be the one to create inside of her the child. She was called upon to provide the nurturing motherhood. She was not the source of the grace. It was God who chose to put his favor on her and create the salvation source within her, the good news and favor from God. The theological truth being that Mary herself could not produce a son, but God could give her a son whose name Jesus means God saves. And this is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? That humans cannot produce our own salvation, but God can and chooses to accomplish it for all humanity. Mary's call was to provide space for what God had decided. She provided herself and God would do the rest. As Mary is processing this whole message from the angel, then she, she asks the logical question. She knew that she had not been with Joseph yet or any other man and, and, and couldn't possibly be expecting. So she asks the question, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And this wasn't a statement of unbelief. It was a question seeking understanding. God never gets tired of your questions when you're seeking to understand what God is doing. He invites us to stay curious about our faith and about the things around us as we seek to understand who he is and what he's doing in the world. And Mary was just going to have to trust God with the details, though. Mary was being called to provide space that would lead to the legacy of salvation. Salvation from sin and death, from Satan and hell. And God would provide the details. And only God had the power to do it, to make the impossible promise come true. Mary had now the opportunity to join God in this call of Christmas. Gabriel explained God's plan as he answers Mary's how. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. As we read that, we have the introduction of God's Spirit into this story. And, and we don't forget that the call of Christmas is wrapped in the activity of the Holy Spirit. And verse 35 references God's power is going to overshadow Mary. And, and the word that is translated to overshadow from the original language is epischiazzo. If you, if you want to know where that word is used at other times, in, in, in the New Testament, there is the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Remember, Jesus goes up on a mountainside, mountaintop, and, and he brings three friends with him, Peter and James and John. And, and while they're up there, Jesus glows, basically. It says he's transfigured. And we don't know what that means other than it was amazing for them to look at him and to see him for who he is. But in that story, it says this, while he was still speaking, a bright 
cloud covered them. Covered is the episkiatsos. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the transfiguration, the voice comes out of the cloud, identifying Jesus as God's son. As a striking reminder for us, what, what is stated in, in verse 35 where the life that results from the overshadowing of the Spirit is identified as the Son of God. Epischiazzo is, is the creative and, and productive activity of the Holy Spirit. Such activity by the Spirit of God harkens back to, to the creation account. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God, it says this, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Life abounds where the Spirit is active. The overshadowing of the Spirit, therefore, not only protects but creates. It brings about the conception within Mary as Mary provides herself as the vessel for the birth of salvation. And at the same time, God supernaturally is providing details of how the Messiah will be born to Mary. Notice the kindness of God, which is in those details as well, as he provides someone to walk alongside Mary during this time of her unique calling. Verse 36 and 37, and now your relative Elizabeth, remember her? We talked about her last week, the wife of Zechariah, the older cousin who, who, who would give birth also. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing is impossible with God. Experts of that time and in that culture suggest that, uh, that Mary likely would have suffered embarrassment, shame, and therefore loneliness for being singled out by God to give birth to a child in this way. Imagine the teenage angst that comes along with that. I mean, it's not enough that you're expecting before marriage but oh, by the way, it's God's son. The, the anxiety of, of the, the public shame and, and the anxiety of the weight of the responsibility. And God provides someone to walk the journey. Someone to take steps with her. The angel not only delivers God's message with a sign to her, but also suggests a confidant with whom she may share her strange and wonderful experience. Elizabeth, the mother we heard about in the, through the angel story last week. It's always better to, to walk through challenges in life when we have someone to walk it with us. God knew this. And God provided for even the smallest detail for the emotional need of Mary. 
The angel told Mary of Elizabeth's conception in her old age. In verse 37, asks that question, or answers that question, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary responded with trust and submission to, to God's will. In verse 38, we read this. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then it tells us the angel departed from her. The fact that nothing is impossible with God is maybe one of the most hopeful statements of reality in the entire Bible. God's in the business of accomplishing the impossible. So what's your impossible this Christmas? What if your call is like Mary's, a call to provide space for God to work, for God to take up residence within you and to begin to work? What if God wants you to provide space in your life to be overshadowed by the Spirit as he goes to work within you, in your life, and through your life circumstances? Then the process may be painful, but necessary for something new to come forth. It may require counseling. It may require a total revamp of your budget. It, it, it may require a confession on your part and a request for forgiveness. But whatever God, wherever God may lead toward your impossible, know that you don't walk it alone. He is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. All you need to do is provide the space for the Spirit of God to enter into your life, to take up residence, and to begin a new work. Mary did. And her call of Christmas was to provide her whole self to bear forth the Son of God. What might you ask God to produce in you as you answer his call of Christmas? Will you provide all of who you are for God to get to work. Amen and amen.